Welcome to the Be a Disciple, Make a Disciple podcast. This is episode number 16. As usual, it is myself, Kyle Morris, and Dakota Smith. The purpose of this podcast is that uh, we want to do discipleship through conversation, and hopefully you guys are joining in and be encouraged by our conversation. So today we have a special guest with us. It is Kosti Hinn. He is a pastor at Redeemer Bible Church in Gilbert, Arizona. He is an author of God, Greed, and the Prosperity Gospel, and also seen on the American Gospel Documentaries uh, that you can check out on Netflix online, order their DVDs. They're great. That's actually where I heard uh, Kosti's story first. So welcome, Kosti, to uh, to our podcast. Thanks for having me on, guys. Good to be with you. Absolutely. Co- awesome. Kosti, we, uh, we always begin with just a word of prayer to uh, asking God for his sufficiency to jump in, and then we'll get after the show. Awesome. So Lord, right now we just uh, thank you for your son, and we thank you for everything that we do, all endeavors to be given to him. We thank you, God, for your grace in our life. We thank you for your redemption in our life. We want to pray for our listeners that you would do a work in their heart. We also want to pray for this show that, Lord, you would be glorified in all of our speech and that all we say, all we converse about would truly just be given unto you as a gift, as an offering, God. We we want that with full genuineness in our heart. We want we want you to be glorified with all of our efforts. Thank you for our listeners. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Yeah, so what we do on this podcast is we focus on discipleship. Uh, we believe that Jesus has told us to be disciples and make disciples. And uh, so that's what we want to do. So we ask every guest uh, on our podcast to share their story of discipleship from as early as you want to talk about to, to up to recent and just share your story of how, uh, you know, Jesus has been working in your life. Yeah. Well, first, I mean, discipleship, like you're saying from way back to even now to today, uh, ongoing. So I've got some great men in my life now and I, I'll talk about them in a moment, but, uh, my discipleship story would go back to uh, a pastor mentor and a friend uh, now still one of my, one of my great mentors in my life, a guy who speaks into my life from time to time still, but, uh, Pastor Tony Wood. His name is Anthony on books and on other literature, but he's just Tony, Pastor Tony to us. And uh, our our church that uh, we were pastoring at together, uh, where he's the lead pastor and I was the executive pastor, uh, is where we spent close to seven years together. And uh, I was initially converted under that ministry. I call it my grace awakening because I, I was in the church, but a lot of false teaching and prosperity gospel stuff and all that was part of my my belief system. But uh, we were a part of a church together, and I'll never forget the day that uh, my moment happened, so to speak. Some people grew up in church. They don't have like a, a moment, but I did. And uh, I just remember busting into his office, kicking the door down, basically, and uh, literally like shoving it open and just throwing myself at, at, at him and going, dude, I, you got to hear what just ha- like this whole thing makes sense. And I started going on and on. And, and really, that the time before that and even after that, he poured into my life a ton. Uh, helped me strip away my title of pastor, which I had had back then. It called me PIT, pastor in training. Uh, helped me on the road to seminary. Gave me a lot of the books you see behind me, literally uh, from his grandfather, who's now in glory, lived to be well into his 90s and was still handing out tracts at the old folks' home. Uh, and his dad, who was a Dallas Theological Seminary graduate. And so anything you see up there, like even the, I'll point to them right there, that's J.C. Ryle's sermons uh, from... Wow different books, but Luke, John, and John, uh, those yellow tags are from their, they were Baker I stayed this whole library system. Anyway, pastoral nerd stuff, but 
from him. <laughs> so he he used to tell me um, in a in a kind of funny way something his dad and one of the seminary professors used to say, which was never give a book to a ten cent man. And it wasn't meant to be derogatory or rude, but he said, if I give you a book, are you going to read it? And I said, yes, sir, absolutely. And so he gave me a book and I devoured it. And I came back and I told him about the book. I wrote about the book and I, he said, all right, give you more. And he basically started giving me books as I read books. And so I would read Spurgeon. I'd read uh, church history. I would read systematic theologies from like Lewis Perry Schaefer or, you know, any other theologian in different thought camps on some of the nuanced things, but overall pretty steady yeah. doctrine. Yeah. And that was it. Um, I was sold. And so I'll never forget the day he brought in a uh, rediscovering expository preaching by John MacArthur. And he said, this is our textbook for the year. Buckle up. And so we read through that. So all of that was pre-seminary. By the time I get to seminary, like barely a year and a half later or so, uh, I had I could just copy paste from some of the papers he had made me write into <laughs> wow. my seminary papers. And so uh, what looks like, you know, straight A's in the middle of having lots of babies and uh, like being busy and writing a book or whatever, uh, people will say like, how do you do it? Well, I'm sometimes, you know, I would copy paste a paper on Christology straight out of a paper I had to write for Pastor Tony on wow. Christology well before seminary. I get like a 98 on it and, you know, professor would cheer, or give some compliment. I'd be like, well, thank you, sir. And in the back of my mind, I'd be like, how do I do it? And I'm so busy and have so many babies. It's called copy paste from the work my pastor and mentor made me do. So Amen. I've, I've adopted yeah. that with other guys. And sometimes you have young guys that just don't do it. They don't read. They don't care. Uh, they don't write. They don't push. And that's not to say they're, they're not called or, or bad. It's just not every guy has it in that sense, that edge. And other young men, I am shocked. I do the same thing to them. And they outpace me, they outpush me, they read, they devour. It's like, I got, it's hard work to keep up with some of the young men who are yeah. so passionate and faithful. So, uh, and then now, Pastor John Benzinger and Pastor Dale Thakra, two guys that are in my life, our senior XP here, and then our lead pastor, uh, John teaches me a ton about preaching, preaching like a shepherd. Uh, he's bold as a lion still, but he's got this deep shepherd's heart. So that's his just the way he is. I've learned a ton about teaching and preaching. And then Pastor Dale is uh, about 51 now, and he's been in ministry a while, biblical counselor. And so that guy uh, will pretty much draw out my heart in about five minutes and teach me some, I call them old man lessons. And I don't mean that rudely, like he's some old guy. I, I desperately believe like churches got to hire older, wiser men, uh, even if they're not the lead pastor, they have different roles because I benefit so much. So Again, like longer answer, but those are great men. Yes, the wise sage, the Gandalf in my life. I, I think what you're what you're alluding to is that discipleship is one thing, but as discipleship becomes more narrow, there's specifics based upon the calling in your life. So as for the pastoral ministry goes, what I love to hear from you and, and just answering that question is that doctrine was at the core not only of uh, your conversion environment and, and situation, but also just the beginning of your walk. You know, doctrine was key. And where do we go to know truth? It's the word of God, you know. Mm. So good. Yeah, that that really what, was what it was. And um, Tony has said this, and John will say this often, but there's different one-liners that I remember. And Tony would point to Paul's words to Timothy, entrust these truths to faithful men. And so he would ask me, you know, are, are, you, are you a faithful man? Are you going to be a faithful man, Costigan? Yes, yes, I will. Okay. Well, how do you know if you're faithful? And so 
we'd walk through the qualifications of a pastor elder and we would look at lists and they'd be scary. And some nights I'd go home and I'd look at, you know, able to teach and go, okay, I think I can wield the sword a bit. And then I'd look at manages his household. Well, and I'd go, man, I, I don't know. I mean, my, my wife is smarter than me and she makes better money decisions and she's been, so I need to, I need to figure out how to lead her and not her lead me. And cause she was always out front or, or even like learn what she knows. So it becomes like, we're here operating as spiritual equals and, and, and in our roles. And so those were convicting for a while. I was like, I cannot be a pastor. My wife is smarter than me. Uh, <laughs> so you look at those qualifications, uh, prudence, and I'd look and go, man, I sometimes I just make decisions and I kind of like a, you know, a, a dog that sees a rabbit, you just bolt. Prudence is, you know, looking at the ripple effects of your communication. And so I'd look at that and think, okay, so we need to talk about this first between brothers and pastors or in my, with my wife. And then talk to the pastors and then talk to the staff and then say it from the pulpit. You know, there were times you just announced stuff or say it. Uh, prudence is a great thing. So um, learning those things in a certain discipline, a lot of that was from Tony. And then John now with doctrine is always like, are you using the Bible to preach your message or is the Bible using you to preach its message? And I'm like, man, I'm still at 35 yeah. going, brother, thank you for pushing me in faithfulness with doctrine and my life. They go, they, they got a match and I'm going to sin. You're going to sin. We're going to blow it. We're going to make mistakes. But what does that look like? What are the habits in our life? What's the process like? So yeah, I'm big on all that. Amen. Yeah. So I remember Dakota does this to this day, still calls me. It's like super late. I'm like, why is Dakota calling me on a, <laughs> on a Saturday like night? And he's like, Hey, I got, I got questions about my sermon tomorrow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's go over it. <laughs> and it's like, Hey, you got to. You got to reach out when when those things happen and just talk to so many different people and different pastors. And that's great. I, I love to hear you say that. I, I've listened to some of your teaching online, like on Facebook and and just seeing the, um, just how structured and you're in the word. And it's not a it's not a message of Costi. It's a message of of what God's saying and what God's word is saying. So it's just uh, so important to see good teaching uh, in, a, in a church. And then you have great reputation of pastors there from. Uh, before I knew know you, Doctor Dehuse, and, and yes. that sort of thing. So um, definitely, it's been uh, a blessing, uh, encouraging to see churches teach the Word of God, uh, because there's just a lot out there that's just distorting it, and uh, it's really sad to see. So I appreciate your messages and and the time that you take to prepare, and and all those people that surround you to ensure that that's what's being taught yeah. uh, from the pulpit. And it's not about you. It's about God. We're, we're being fed too as pastors. I mean, we're paying that's attention right. to the leadership and the positions that God have, has placed men like yourself and, and John in, you know, in, in this time, uh, if we could go somewhat retroactively in the conversation, uh, Kyle and I have both seen, uh, the documentary American gospel. Uh, I do believe there's two actually, I haven't seen the newest one that, just came out. But nevertheless, there's a number of people in our congregation that have heard, and they are just super excited that we get the chance to talk to you. Would you be able to go back to pre-conversion and just momentarily, you know, just speak, where did God bring you out of? I mean, obviously we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but there's a uniqueness to your story. And can you touch on that for a minute? Totally. Yeah. We all have fallen short um, in our sin and and certainly missed the mark. Uh, for me, and I, I don't say this in a funny way. I, I just say it quite honestly. It just came to mind. I'm like, yeah, um, I fell short and missed the gospel. Uh, that was, you know, it wasn't just <laughs> sin. 
it's like, I, yeah, I missed the gospel, uh, the, the, the actual Jesus. So, um, yeah, I was living the life of a kind of a, a rock star riding on the coattails of my family. Um, and by rock star, I mean, like, whether it's, you know, a, a notoriety or money, more, more so the lifestyle. Uh, we flew on private planes. We stayed in the nicest hotels in the world. We did a lot of things that were large and in charge, multiple homes, like the Orange County thing. And um, I was, had, we had a house up in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and just that whole uh, jet set lifestyle, big time, high roller life. And all, but all of it was ministry in my mind. It was all from the gospel. And so we, we made our money from donations and uh, much different than, let's say, a pastor locally who is a laborer worthy of his wages or caring for elders who, who are worthy of double honor and preaching and teaching well and faithfully, uh, overseeing a congregation, you know, caring for, for men in leadership so that they can in turn care for the congregation and um, their wives aren't at home wondering if the lights are going to turn off or if they're going to make it another day. Definitely a place for that. Missions, third world, some different scenarios. I've been bivocational before. I've been tri-vocational before. That's even a word. Um, we've all held multiple jobs. But but again, the goal is as men are faithful to make sure that they're cared for. Not like that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about millions and millions of dollars where mm. you know, uh, preacher wants a Bentley, so he's going to buy a Bentley. And preacher wants a G5 or G4 and and to fly in a $40 million aircraft. And so we need to take big offerings and, you know, high life, $10,000 suits and, you know, trips to the Burj Al Arab, the big hotel in Dubai shaped like a sail. And, and instead of just staying in a normal suite, which is about a thousand euros a night, uh, we stayed in the Royal suite, which is $25,000 US, <laughs> you know, Oh my gosh. <laughs> a night. So that was the lifestyle. It was all attached to the gospel. And I, actually thought I was preaching the same gospel as Paul and as Jesus. And so naturally people would come against us and say, yeah, this false teaching and this lifestyle. People would even say, you know, I don't even care if the guy drives a Bentley or a Ferrari. You know what? Forget it. Pay yourself a bunch of money. I, it's the doctrine. Why are you teaching that people are entitled to this if they follow Jesus? You want to have a big 501c3? You want to pay yourself that amount? That's a secondary conversation as far as love and money. but. You look at doctrine, attaching that to the gospel, it's a huge issue. We did that. So we weren't teaching the same gospel as Paul. We weren't preaching what Jesus taught. And when people would come against us, we'd say we're being persecuted, just like Jesus, just like Paul. You're per Why are you persecuting us? And we would say, well, the devil's coming against us. We must be doing God's work now. This is just like the heroes of the faith that we once had. And so um, all of that was the way I grew up. But eventually, cracks in the dam of my theology were just getting bigger and bigger. Um, people were coming along and saying things in love, but they were boldly speaking the truth. Before I know it, um, I'm studying for a sermon as an actual pastor at the church that Tony Wood discipled me at. And we were heading a, we were more of like a, a seeker-driven church, very just kind of attractional. We did our thing. It was a concert every week and a, a bit of a TED Talk. And the Lord just shifted the whole thing. and so. Uh, I got saved in my study, hmm. preparing to preach out of John 5, a passage on healing, which I'm like, oh, I'll nail this. I'm a hen. Like, I know healing. <laughs> so um, the, the Lord just flipped my whole world upside down, and the journey really began in true faith with the true gospel from there. Wow. Amen. Mm -hmm. Amen. It's, it's humbling and it's sobering to hear your story. Uh, 
because the very thing that you're communicating is a sense of humility uh, as to who you were in view of God. And now your disposition has changed, you know, with a repentant heart and your motive is so past money and your motive is so past the peddling of God's word or excuse me, the meddling of God's word, but uh, it is directed at the truth, which is the Lord himself that uh, we love your testimony, Costi. Um, I'm thankful. I, I, I love it too, because I love Jesus. So I'm like, you know, I love that he saved yeah. me. You know, I love your, I love your testimony. I love every testimony. It's like, Hey, God is in the business of saving people. That's just what he does. So I look at my life, my wife together. We look at it often together, our life together. And, and we just say, thank you because it's all a gift. And at the same time, like you guys, I want to, I want to walk confidently and boldly in my calling. I don't wake up in the morning and I'm like, God, are you still there? Like, I don't know if this, you know, and wow, like what an amazing thing. And then I don't know what to do. It's not like, gosh, G Willikers, like, wow. And never, never stepping into it. You know, the difference between that, like confidence in God and then, you know, manhood sort of cockiness of like, I got it made when we're, when we're staying over here, it's like, we're humbled by what God did. And then at the same time, you know, I always try to tell people like, we, we don't just stay in that sort of, oh, wow. It's like, okay, now, now what? You know, I had a football yeah. coach that once said, you know, so what, now what? It's like, you learned all the plays, quarterback knows what to do. And, you know, you guys are doing the same thing. You grow in the Lord, you learn, you're floored by all that he's doing. And then, you know, Kyle, just 10 minutes away and Dakota, a few States away, you men get up in the morning like warriors and you're walking boldly in the grace that God has given, just like Paul, the apostle in strength, it's his strength, but man, I love fighting the fight. Cause I know who's fighting it. It's the Lord. He did it. So why not just get up and, and work hard as you can and watch him do great things. So one of the reasons we do this is for discipleship. Um, we believe that discipleship is something that at times can get lost, how to do discipleship, uh, either within a family or within the church. Uh, we know it comes from the gospel and it comes from Jesus. And so we, we want to focus on that and something that I've seen. And, and the reason this is important to me, not just because it's what Jesus told me to do, but I've seen many people grow up in the church. I would say my generation, you know, thirties, 40 years old, um, really grew up in the church and left because they were either hurt by the church in some way. They didn't really agree with some of the behavioral norms of the church uh, to do this or not to do that. And so there's this, this lost discipleship that we need to be growing people up in the word mm. correctly and, and teaching them correctly. But I know being in Gilbert where you're at specifically, and, and I know this from growing up here, there is a huge population of, you know, evangelical people who are no longer going to church Yeah, where home church, they're not even doing home church. Nope. They're just, yeah, I'm not really sure what, what I'm, what I am right now. I'm going to kind of ignore it for now. So for someone who's has your experience, who's kind of, um, you know, grew, grew up in a prosperity gospel, something that isn't true, not a real gospel. Mm. And some of those other people who may have been hurt by churches who are either not teaching the right gospel or just teaching, you know, bad beliefs, bad doctrine, uh, what would kind of be your message to them? How would you, what would you say to them to kind of bring them back and to start investigating for themselves? Yeah. What the Bible has Great to say. Great question. Great question. Um, I would say shift your focus off of man and off of yourself and onto to, to Jesus. That is where we can end up 
if you've been in spiritual abuse or you've been turned off by the church, uh, I, I went through some of this. There's a season and you're going through these stages of grief, so to speak. We've kind of all heard those stages or, or references to them in different phases of life. But you're going to go through some denial like, nah, this is I mean, no way that they were they're They're not all that that can't be happening. And, and people go through that. And then you, you have, you know, uh, anger and, and people get very angry. Well, a lot of people will stay there and they'll leave or they'll just kind of walk away and they attach God or Jesus and his to, to and, and church to the person who hurt them. And what we need to remember often is, first of all, if you were someone who was spiritually abused in a false system, you weren't abused by God. You weren't even abused by the church. You were abused by a deceiver. And so we want to expose that and, and shed light on it. Um, it would be the same way as, you know, somebody who, you know, in a marriage or in a relationship, um, was, was abused by someone, but then, you know, put that on someone else. You go, no, no, I, I didn't do that to you. He did, or she did, they did, but we don't throw marriage out the window because somebody else did that. We have, this is true. This is a good marriage or what have you. So same thing with church and with God, with Jesus. So if you've been abused in a false system, there's that. Here's the hard part too, Kyle, and, and you know this, and Dakota, you know this as well. You just moved from out here. So you guys understand that the spiritual climate of, uh, some people call it big Eva or like, you know, evangelicalism at large. You guys know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. For the past 35 to 40 years, the, the seeker-driven or attractional church movement had people come in and they felt good. Some of them would play like secular music or just kind of do whatever. They'd preach like a TED talk and not really press in on doctrine. And so you could be an unchristian, non-Christian, or even like a, a, a false Christian, a false convert. And you could come to church and feel really comfortable and you could just do your thing. And then you can go out the next week and you can keep coming back. And then as long as you, you, you could feel really good if you're in the great state of Arizona, where we're pretty, we're pretty conservative, uh, you vote Republican, you're American. And you go to that church and you're on the member roles, you're a Christian and probably add one more. And there's nothing wrong, by the way, with, you know, praying a prayer. Some of us did, you know, walk aisles at different times in our life and stay saved. So there's nothing wrong with that. If you went to a Billy Graham crusade or what have you, but some people walked the aisle, they, they prayed the prayer and they're like, cool, I got my fire insurance. Like, I'm good. I got heaven, got my ticket, go do my thing. What that creates is possibly, this isn't all everywhere, but possibly we end up with many, many, many false converts in churches who have not actually been converted yet. The Lord could do mighty things in their life eventually. And I would even go as far to say this, and with respect to all the different kinds of churches, but you could even have false churches or false movements. Mm -hmm. And they, they're just kind of Christian clubs, quote Christian. And so a lot of people get hurt in those movements because they get told, hey, my life was supposed to get better. You taught, you preached this sermon, like five ways to be a better me. Yeah. You told me everything's going to work out. My kids are in Disneyland every week in the children's ministry. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with having a really awesome children's ministry and having <laughs> lots of fun. They should, they should have, they should want to go to church. But they, all those things were used to just have like a corporate thing. And people eventually look at their life and something doesn't work. And they're like, well, forget this. I thought God was going to fix it all. This was like, and so it's a soft prosperity gospel. It's yeah. prosperity gospel light. Well, that also turns people off. So to you, if you've ever been in one of those situations where either a spiritual abuser or evil people hurt you, or 
the church was sort of this thing and it was supposed to be cool and it was all happy, but then it didn't work out for you. You might've been led astray by something that was either brazenly deceptive or severely misguided Uh, in the true church where the gospels preached. And we talk about suffering and real challenges and we do give you answers from the Bible. Um, Sometimes you, you will go out and you're, you're convicted. You're like, ouch, that sermon, that, oof, that stung. And it's a good sting, right? You go to the doctor and they put something on you sometimes and it stings. It means the wound is healing. You go to the gym and you don't hire a trainer that kind of pats you on the back every week. You want to go out a little sore. That's how you know you've been with somebody who's challenged you. It's the same thing. So I would encourage people, put your eyes on Jesus, your eyes on the gospel and find a church that that challenges you, but loves you and walks with you. And they can point to scripture, rightly divided for the reasons that they do what they do. But man, I, the devil is in the business of deception and spiritual abuse and destroying things. And so he's working overtime against what we're talking about. And so as much as we can, Kyle, I love the question. We just need to be dialoguing about this and help people discern what was I in? No, that wasn't God. No, that wasn't truth. Now you're in a safe place. Let me walk with you. This is the true church. Yeah, because I growing up in, in the church that I grew up at, um, great. My family still goes there and uh, it's awesome. But I just think about youth ministry and, and I think about this a lot because I'm, you know, I'm a youth pastor. And uh, one of the things was, you know, the fun in the games and the making it a culture of just hanging out and just get kids here yeah. just so we can. Uh, get to know them and and some of that stuff, but never really dove deep into the word of God mm. uh, because I went to Bible college uh, really because of, you know, Dakota was going there and, and I was like, Hey, I, I, I want to go there too. I want to learn more about, about God and I'm being called to ministry. And so I really started learning about the Bible in Bible college, even though nice. I grew up in the church because, and then starting to have dialogue with, with all my classmates and staying up late and talking about theology and, and doing all these things that were not happening in my youth group. Yeah. They were not happening in the college group, and we've created these safe places to hang out, but we're not preaching the word of God. Mm. And so that those sort of things, I really see a lot of the people my age, even a little older, who experience that. They've just kind of walked away. They're like, "Yeah, that was fun for a time, but you know, doesn't really make sense to me now." And and it's it's kind of disheartening, and it breaks my heart. It really does. And I think about it daily, and I pray for those people all the time. I think there's a mantra in our culture that says it's all about relationships. And while in the right context, that's true, I think it's all about relationships underneath the umbrella of what God has to say. So good. So <laughs> and, good. And that's where we need to head. You know, Costi, I want to uh, just trying to be aware of time and cognizant of that. But a question that I'm currently working through, mm-hmm. um, you know, as, as someone who's been a believer for 13, 14 years, someone who's a, a pastor at a church, someone who believes with a clean conscience, he's following the Lord. I'm wrestling as a Christian for how I can handle today's political climate of what's been taking place, especially in the last Mm. five months. Uh, Just today, I had a post on Facebook about the gospel removed and taken down. And I'm I'm thinking in my mind like, oh my gosh, did that just happen? Uh, Wow. How do I respond, you know? So for the for the common person who may not be in a leadership role, just the average person who's trying to just walk with Jesus daily, how do we handle what's taking place today? Any thoughts? 
Yeah. Um, first of all, wow. I'm sorry that you had that post removed. Um, yeah, I'm still filtering it. Like what? <laughs> goodness. What, what platform was it on? It was on Facebook. Yeah. Wow. I posted yeah, a message from, you know, the past, the passage in Hebrews too, about how we don't have to, uh, remain in fear over the yoke of slavery to death, but because of Jesus's resurrection. I mean, the whole, the whole idea was, I think, the worldwide pandemic is showing us that people really do have a fear of death. Mm -hmm. And um, they took it down and they said that it was harmful content uh, involving COVID-19. And I was talking about the hope of Jesus as the answer. And I'm like, is this really happening? <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. So that, yeah, that is the name of the game in our culture. So um, I, here's my approach on this and I see it in the text. I, I know that other guys take different approaches. Maybe, I don't know, but here's where I, I lean in. I look at Paul and his example. And recently, I uh, don't, I won't tell you guys to turn there, but I'm going to bring it up and then I'm in Colossians four, but Paul, I, we were doing these things called the daily word. We're still doing them where every day at like 6am a video releases. It's, it's a pastor. One of our team, pastor Dale right now is we're in Romans, but it's our annual reading plan. And every day during the COVID uh, lockdowns, we started doing this. A pastor does an entire week. So six days, Sunday is an off day uh, from it. But six days, we do a daily word. And it's literally walking people through a passage as part of their daily reading. So we've been through the Gospels. We've been through the book of Acts. So I ended up getting five or six straight days in Acts, later in Acts. And we've all read that. Bible college, you read the narrative in Acts, different books of the Bible. Well, I'm reading it again, and I'm going, wow, Paul. You're something, man. <laughs> You're something. Festus, uh, Agrippa, Felix, you're going to Rome, the shipwreck, the centurion, just over and over and over. Paul has these incredible moments. He preaches the gospel. Sometimes he's shut down. He preaches the gospel, and sometimes they're really convicted. They shoo him away. He's preaching the gospel, and the one guy is hoping that he's going to come back and bribe him with some money to let him go. Uh, he's preaching the gospel and, you know, Agrippa's like, you're, you would, you're trying to convert me? Really? Right? Like you, you're trying to convert. He literally, he literally yeah. says that in layman's terms. Uh, yeah. You would presume to, to try to make me believe. And Paul goes, I wish all of you guys were as I am, except for the yeah. chains. Yeah. I, that, his example, shipwreck or not, all that. Is this one of, uh, I know there's a place for civil disobedience. And I, I, I believe strongly. <laughs> in pushing back against tyranny and against things that uh, press in on our rights. We are in America. There are rights. I'm, I'm, all, I'm all with you there. But I see a man also who, as a Roman citizen, makes his appeals, does press in a little bit there, but keeps preaching the gospel. He keeps pressing in wherever he can. And, and then what's interesting is in the next chapter, in the next chapter, the next, he keeps being in chains and it's injustice. He shouldn't be still held. They should let him go. The Lord doesn't allow that. He keeps preaching. You don't see him going crazy. I'm a Roman. This is ridiculous. You know, who do you think you He just keeps focusing on gospel work and trying to reach the people in his little sphere of influence there. So I see that. I see Stephen, the first martyr in Acts 7, verse 54, and then into, of course, chapter 8, and then Paul, his conversion shortly after. Um, all of that. But really, in the end, the heart of Paul in Colossians 4 uh, continues steadfastly in prayer, verse 2, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. 
So I see a, a call to pray and keep praying and being watchful and be thankful. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account, which I'm in prison. So there's a pretty sobering reminder. There's Paul again in chains. Yep. Um, praying for what? Pray for my freedoms. Pray for my, my rights. Pray for my riches. No, pray for open doors for gospel ministry Amen. that I may that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. You, we could sit there for two hours and oh, yeah. that. Let your speech always be gracious, not sometimes, not when you feel like it. We all fail at that, um, but that's the call. Seasoned with salt that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I think in today's climate, actually, I know based on God's word that we should be prayerful. We should be thankful. We should be faithful. We should use wisdom. We should be gracious. I mean, you can just go down the list of things following Paul. I don't want to follow Costi. I don't want to follow my own thoughts and emotions. I don't even want to follow my own zeal all the time because I know what that will lead to. I have a proclivity to be a zealot. That's just who I am. Probably you guys got some of that in you too. It, we <laughs> oh, all, yeah. we have that. And so that doesn't mean how I feel is okay. I have to look at the Bible and go, okay, where should my zeal be, be focused right now? And when you look at Paul's example, that that's what I'm trying to live right now. Our home, that's our goal, our focus, because I already know what my weakness is. I I want to go to war. I love to fight, boy, especially a fight for the faith, right? Who, what yeah. what man does it? Like I need a battle to fight, and we're going to defend the faith and all. So that's neutral. Like we we go there automatically. Yeah, but um. Or baseline. That's the baseline speed for a lot of men. So we need to lean in here. And that is how, which I know there's a ton of questions that will come up. Well, what about this? Well, what if this person says this? Or what if the government, I just, just sure. back to the text, let's live in the text and then follow Jesus. We probably will at some point end up like the Christians in China or in Iran or in Sudan. I Probably. Yeah. Yeah. They probably won't care about our rights pretty soon. They probably will overstep. There probably will be more, you know, John MacArthur on Tucker Carlson calling everybody. <laughs> I, I get it. Yeah, probably. But the way that we carry ourselves on the way there, I think, is really, really important. Like we're really going to stop the the destruction of the world, the Antichrist work. We already look at the Bible and it's prophetically saying that he's going to rise up. There's this is So we're not going to stop it. So how we live in the midst of it, I think is important. So does that help? Amen. Does that make sense at least? Oh man. Yeah. And just definitely. the angle that you took with Paul's journey from the book of Acts and that display and how it was constantly on his mind to find an opportunity for the gospel, whether he was in or out of his chains is so refreshing to hear. Uh, you know, in going back to the Facebook post, it's not like, Oh, there's this massive persecution. I, they took my Facebook post down it, it was more of, you know, like, wow, I'm disheartened. That was just a gospel message and they took it offline because that's too sensitive. And I, I see where it's going. And again, there's this tension of we feel like here we are in this world sliding downhill with with something that we are grieving it seems to be passing away. And at the same time, I'm thinking in my heart, Lord, keep my eyes set on you because there's a kingdom coming that's never going to fade. It's going to be eternal, everlasting. You know, Come a kingdom on. which will never be destroyed. That's the Sunday's sermon, that uh, Daniel 7. You know, I mean, Jesus has got this. So, Amen. 
One last topic before we, we jump off of here and, and we appreciate your time. And, and so, uh, is really the topic of repentance. Yeah. I've seen social media this week being flooded with the repentance of Todd White, yeah. um, um, from, from his church and, and saying that he has not been preaching the gospel. Um, and so, uh, it, it kind of, you know, su- not surprising in the sense that God can change hearts. We know, jo- we know he can do that for sure. Uh, but when it comes to repentance, you know, how would you explain what that's going to, what that should look like moving forward? If we truly repent as a, as a Christian, what does that look like in our lives yeah. uh, that we live out from that point on? And so um, not that you have to speak directly to what Todd White's sure. life should look like, but what should a Christian's life look like yeah. at, at, when they repent of something? Absolutely. I think the Bible will speak clearly on this is you've got, uh, you know, John the Baptist coming along and, and, and shouting things out like bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So there's fruit that will grow on a genuine tree that is that it would be, let's say it's a, a visual of a repentant life or a, a, a heart that's been transformed. It's going to bear real and lasting actual fruit. Um, the fruits of repentance will certainly uh, be a, a change of mind, right? The repent, the word repentance, metanoia. It's a 180 mentally. I was going south. Now I'm going north. I ch- my way of thinking changed. And you guys know, spiritual warfare is a battle for the mind, right? If I can get into the way people think, now I can affect the way they believe. If I can control or get a hold of their belief system, well, now I can control the way they live, right? That's how the devil's always thinking. He's going, nah, let me get in there. Let me get in their head. As preachers and Christians, I'm going, okay, the word of God, I want it to, you know, Romans 12, 1 and 2, uh, renew the mind. I want, it, I want it to be renewed. I want their life to be transformed by God, not uh, conformed to the world. I want them to fill their mind with God's word. So I want to have them take every thought captive, all that. So repentance is going to look like that too. When my life changes, my mind changes about God. So thinking should change, which I, I, I will speak a little bit to it because I called my brother-in-law is his executive pastor. My sister uh, works there as well and does worship. And my other sister just got hired there. And her husband uh, is got hired there. So there's some family uh, connections to Todd and his ministry. So I called over the other night and just offered to help or serve in whatever way possible. Not like I overestimate my importance, but just support and serve. I said, I've been really loud against false teaching. I, I want to be really loud about grace and repentance. So yeah, it's awesome. So what we would see, we're going to see, I believe, if someone is truly repentant, a change of mind now that he's going, hey, we'll just use him or any of us as an example. Okay, I got to get the gospel right. Now, there will be other dominoes. For example, you're going to look at other areas in your life. Uh, is there anywhere in my life or my ministry where I haven't been following your word, Lord? Jesus told his disciples, if you love me, you'll obey me. So, okay, so love and obedience are together. Um, if you have truth, but no love, that's aggressive. I, I just posted a quote today by uh, Warren Wiersbe. He talks a lot about that. And then he says, but love without truth is hypocrisy. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you, he says, uh, truth without love is brutality and the other is hypocrisy. So I think there's going to be some balance, but there'll definitely be a change of mind with truth. And then as well, there'll be a longevity, right? John, uh, in First John 2, I'm preaching this actually tonight for our young people First uh, John two eighteen onward, when he says they went out from among us because they weren't really of us, he's talking about you know false teachers and different people. There'll be a longevity. False converts, people who aren't actually repentant, they'll they will fall away. People think, oh, you lost your salvation. No, 
you're like one of those soils that yeah. weren't actually legit. You weren't really good soil. Temporary. Uh, something. Yeah, totally temporary. You sprouted up quick and, you know, Jesus was convenient or it's, you were, you felt remorse, which that I'll lean into a bit more as well. Judas felt remorse. You remember that? He knew Jesus's blood was on his hands, but what did he do? He threw the silver back at their feet and was like, oh yeah, take this. I, I don't want, and then went and hung himself. Peter, little different storyline. Zacchaeus, different storyline. He's going crazy. He's like, oh, I believe I'm going to pay everyone back. Oh, he's just crazy. Like, so we will see a life change and transformed. And then I don't think you'll have a lot of denial of truth. A, a, a person will say, I sinned against the Lord. I falsely taught this. I said this and was wrong. I lied about this. I stole about this. And I'm following Jesus. It's like the song, you know, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. That's what we'll see with repentance. I'll say one thing, and this isn't directed to Todd at all. This would just be directed to other stories we've seen. Uh, the end of Second uh, Peter, I believe it's Second Peter 2, uh, verse 22, there at the end, he says, after unpacking really strong words about false teachers, that like dogs, he quotes Proverbs, like dogs returning to their vomit, they'll go back to it. And there is a pattern when it's not repentance, they'll go back to it. So again, I, I saw some serious brokenness in time. I mean, I'm, pump, I'm just praying for him and trying to help. But I've seen a lot of other uh, teachers who are preaching false versions of the gospel say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, swing the crowd back, see donations go back. And then four, five, six years later, they're subtly going back to it. And Christians get scared to like do a video on it or say something because they're like, oh, now everyone's going to say, you're cynical, you're, you're mean, you're like a Pharisee. So like, oh, I just care. To it. I, I just care. We got we to gotta still warn that's yeah. still a wolf. So yeah. um, I hope that helps. If you look at the text, Paul, another great example. He's crazy. They're like, he's the guy who killed people. Uh, what's he doing yeah. here? And, yeah. And, it gets vouched for and it comes out. It's obvious and the Lord uses them to write 13 of the 27 New Testament books. 14 if got, scholars argue Hebrews. Bottom line, he wrote a lot of the books in the New Testament. So and that he got away. a good picture. He got away for 14 years too at that, you know. He didn't he? There was some there were gaps in his ministry. Yeah. Um he goes there, I think what to the to the desert there in Arabia for yeah. For a portion of time. Is that why the MDiv is three years? Because Paul disappeared for three years. I've always wondered that. Probably is. Oh, man. Full time you do the, the Master of Divinity degree, and it's three years. Now you're just like Paul. Yeah. yeah. It, took, it took me almost five. So. Yeah. Paul had a little extra grace, you know. That was <laughs> better than all of us, man. He worked harder than the mall. He worked harder than, than the 12. I mean, he even he says said it. That. It was only by grace, but I worked really hard. Beat yeah. them all. <laughs> Amen. 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 Yeah. Well, well, thank you so much, Costi. Would you uh, just join us in prayer? We'd like to pray for your ministry and, and your life and uh, just encourage you as as we end uh, the podcast. So let me pray. Dear Lord, uh, I thank you so much for uh, just this uh, time to spend together to really talk about you, Lord, and um, just lift each other up and hopefully lift up our listeners. But I just want to pray for Costi and, and the ministry that you have given him, uh, that he continues to run the race. He continues to follow you um, and, and at all times go back to the word of God and study and just continue the lifelong journey of to knowing you more. Uh, I pray for him as a pastor. I pray for him as a husband. Uh, that he just continues 
uh, to follow you. And so thank you so much for, for this opportunity to have this conversation and just uh, and for your blessing over it. In Jesus' name, amen. And thank you guys so much. Keep up the great work. I'll see you soon. All right. All right. Thank Love you, you, brother. Love you too. See you Take guys. care.